You are listening to the Salty Catholic Podcast. I'm your host, Anas Kesto. I'm salty not just because Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, but also because I'm salty in the sense that I'm watching the culture shift towards this progressive ideology, and it's becoming more anti-Christian by the day, and it's been slowly destroying our Christian values. I'm also salty because I'm watching Catholics become very lukewarm in their faith and not standing up and defending against this secular culture. So I'm here to sprinkle in a little bit of flavor. All right, let's begin. What is up with Christians who don't believe that hell exists? Or at the very least, that hell is not eternal, it's just something temporary. They think that in order for you to get to heaven, you just need to be a good person. What does that even mean? I mean, does hell only consist of people like Hitler and Bin Laden? Everybody else goes to heaven as long as you do, you're just a good person? It's not biblical. It's patently false. And hopefully in this episode, I'll be able to explain why hell is real, why it's eternal, and why it's just. And I get it. Hell is not a pleasant topic. It's harsh. So many people tend to avoid it and just focus on like the the rainbows and butterflies part of the Bible. To be fair, that includes even some of our priests and many Christian pastors. I mean, heck, there are some denominations in Christianity like the Seven-Day Adventists um, who completely deny the existence of hell altogether. Um, And there are some who think that it's, it's just something temporary, like I don't know, is it like jail time where you just do your time getting in, get in and get out? Is it like a time you just go to time out? Um, and then you have some that go on the other extreme and believe in something called annihilationism, uh, which means those who are wicked, the ones who don't deserve to go to heaven, they just cease to exist. You know, God snaps his finger like Thanos and they just disappear from existence. And they don't die, right? You think I'm kidding. And I wish I was. But many Christians twist and contort scripture just so that they can justify their beliefs about hell. They're too afraid to come to terms that maybe one day they will end up in hell. So they make up stories and they make up theology just to make themselves feel better about their decision. This is especially prevalent uh, among the so-called like progressive Catholics and liberal Christians because They're knee-deep in this culture. They want to enjoy the culture at the expense of Christianity, so they read into Scripture what they feel and what they believe. Um, It's why they ask things like, why would a good God create such a place? I mean, Jesus was a just person, and he preached about love and acceptance, so you know, why would he send people to hell? It just doesn't make sense. The first thing I like to say to people who ask this question is, Show me in scripture. Show me where Jesus teaches about love and acceptance to mean that you could do whatever you want and as long as you're just, you know, a little bit of a good person that you won't go to hell. Show me where in the Bible Jesus accepts a person just the way they are and doesn't tell them to repent of their sins. Because I can show you many verses that say otherwise. Here we go. Let's take a look at this. Uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, and this is verse 21, He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoer. So, the question is, if these people want to enter the kingdom of heaven, right, and they're in front of Jesus, and they're telling him they did all these good things, right? They were good people. And Jesus is telling them, depart from me. Where do you think they're going? 
are they going back to Earth? Are they just going to go in a timeout and come back again? You know, what, what, what does that even mean? I mean, it makes perfect sense, and hopefully I'll explain why. And I'll explain why hell is real and just. Uh, but first, before I go any further, let's define hell. That way we're, we're all in the same terms. We all know what we're talking about here. So in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, this is paragraph 1033, and it says this, We cannot be united with God unless we freely choose to love Him. But we cannot love God if we sin gravely against Him, against our neighbor, or against ourselves. To die in mortal sin without repenting and accepting God's merciful love means remaining separated from Him forever by our own free choice. This state of definitive self-exclusion from the communion with God and the blessed is called hell. So that's what we mean when we say hell. That's to say hell is just a state of being. You know, it's not just a place. Um, It's a state of being permanently and eternally separated from God. It's the opposite of heaven. It's also a state of being where we are eternally united with God and all of His glory. So we need to understand that hell is a choice. God created man with free will, capable of freely choosing to do what they want. They can freely choose to do good, or they can freely choose to sin. God gave us free will because we're not robots programmed to love Him. We need to freely choose to love Him. And to do this, uh, we need to have, we need to make that choice to love Him. We need to make the choice to do His will. And when we use our free will to disobey God and turn away from Him, Well, we shouldn't be surprised that there would be consequences while we're here alive on earth or even in the afterlife. God gave us our entire life on earth, no matter how short or how long it is, to make the right choice. Unfortunately, many seem to think that they can live their life however they please without the possibility of suffering consequences in the afterlife. Not only that, but God gave us our time on earth to preach as well. So if we don't warn those who are living their life in sin, then we may end up in hell as well because we may be held accountable for that. This is why I'm against so many Catholics who are, don't get me wrong, they're good, they're devout, they're practicing Catholics who pray, go to Mass, read Scripture. Yet when it comes to defending their faith or speaking out against wrongdoings, they become very reserved. They're like, well, you know, that's not my problem. God will deal with them. I'll just, I'll just kind of mind my own business. I have news for you folks. In Ezekiel, this is chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, the Lord says, If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked ways in order to save his life, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked ways, he shall die in his iniquity, but you will have saved your life. So to those who always wonder why I don't mind my own business and why I, you know, when I see fellow Christian proclaiming false teachings like about abortion, homosexuality, or whatever it is, they'll they'll tell me things. Why don't you just mind your own business and just stop judging others? You're, You're not being very Christian. Well, here's one of many Bible verses I just read that say otherwise. God demands us to warn people that when they die in the state of grave sin, they will remain in that state. And there's only one way to go. You're not going to heaven in that state. I mean, whether they choose to accept it or not, that's not up to me. It's not up to us. That's up to, you know, it's up to them and God. He'll cast the ultimate judgment. But at least do your part, Catholics. Do what Paul says to Timothy in his first letter. This is chapter 4, verse 16. He says, Take heed to yourself and to your teachings. Hold to that, for by doing so, you will save both yourself 
and your hearers. Preach the truth. That's all you have to do. Just preach the truth. Hell is real. It's not a fantasy or it's not made up to scare or trick people into loving God or doing what he wants, you know, what he wants us to do. Jesus even warned that hell's not only real, but it's eternal. In Matthew 25, Jesus says it twice in the same, uh, in the same chapter. Uh, first in verse 41, he says, Then he will say to those at his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devils and his angels. And then a few verses later in 46, he says, And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. He uses the word eternal means forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever when describing the punishment or the reward. Both will be eternal, heaven and hell. They're both going to be eternal. Oh, that's not enough for you? Oh, no problem. I got you. How about Revelation chapter 20 verse 10? Uh, the author says, when he sees in his vision, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I know what you're thinking. It says beasts and false prophets. And I'm not a beast or a false prophet. I'm just a regular Joe Schmo, you know, or a Jane Doe. And this verse isn't really about me. A few verses later, John mentions the same lake of fire. And he makes it perfectly clear. That's not just for beasts and false prophets that will go down there. But anyone can be cast down there. It says in verse 14, uh, so four verses later, In the second death, the lake of fire... And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, was thrown into the lake of fire. Remember that lake of fire we just talked about? Okay, and just in case that wasn't clear enough, the next chapter in Revelation, chapter 21, verse 8, says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, as for the murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their lot shall be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There's that lake of fire again. That was eternal. So, is that clear? Is, it, is, eternal, <laughs> is hell eternal? Can we move on now? All right. So now that we've established that hell is real and it's eternal, and it's not just like a timeout corner where you just, you know, when you're being a bad boy, let's talk about the next objection, which is that, is hell a just punishment? Now, I've heard someone put it this way. Is hell a just punishment, though? If, I mean, if I only live to be 27 years old, is that you know, is eternity really appropriate? First, the objection assumes that the punishment has to be equal to the fault, or at least proportionate to the fault, whether in gravity of the duration of time or whatever. That's well, totally false. For example, first-degree murder is life in prison. That's not based on how old the person who committed the murder is or the age of the person that they murdered. We don't say, oh, you know what? Well, you murdered an 85-year-old uh, lady and she probably didn't have much time left on earth anyway. So you know what? Your sentence is going to be reduced. Only do like five or 10 years. That would not be just. That would be unjust. Time can't measure the punishment. The measure of the punishment is the gravity of sin. So the free and willful rejection of God, which in Catholicism we call mortal sin, and as John calls it in his first letter, uh, calls it sin unto death. When we commit those types of sin, it's reasonable for that punishment to be permanently excluded from God for all eternity, right? I mean, St. Thomas Aquinas puts it this way, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here. He says, like, the, the gravity of the offense is determined according to the dignity of the person sinned against. For example, if I just go up and punch a random guy in the face at, a, at the mall or at the bar or at a restaurant in a random place, whoever it may be, 
that will have far less severe of a punishment than if I went to go punch the President of the United States in the face. So what makes you think that sinning directly against God, which is to say, totally rejecting and disobeying Him, won't have a severe punishment? God is being itself. He is infinite in morality, in wisdom, in dignity, and majesty. So He has the right to our obedience. He has the right of obedience from His creation. The willful disobedience is the most severe offense a human can commit against God. And since the rejection of God's um, absolute right to our obedience and worship and love uh, is, is a moral disorder of the highest degree, and it deserves a penalty of the highest degree. But I always ask those who have this objection um, to give me an alternative. I just say, okay, fine. Hell is, hell is not eternal. What's the alternative? They'll say, oh, well, you know, um, how about no hell? There's no hell. That's absolutely absurd. I mean, we kind of discussed that, one, Christ talks about that, about a place called hell, and a place where people will go there for eternity and punishment. But other than that, that would completely diminish any form of morality, since there'd be no punishment at all, and no matter what we do. I can't call someone evil, because they would end up in heaven anyway, so right and wrong are meaningless at that point, if there is no hell. Um, fine, they'll suggest, fine, if there is no, if there is a hell, then it's not eternal, it's temporary. Okay, like... Again, it's like a timeout at this point. Uh, they even try to make it sound reasonable, right? They'll suggest like, well, it's temporary, but the f punishment will be very severe. Okay, I decide that makes it better. Let's toy with that idea for a moment though, right? I have three children right now. And let's say they grow up and they're in high school. And I tell them, hey guys, if you do well in school this year, I'm going to take whoever does well uh, to Disneyland in the summer. Now they get all excited and they start working hard. And at the end of the school year... I find out that my son, one of one of my three kids, uh, he often skipped school. He went out, you know, with his friend. They went to his friend's house and stayed home and got drunk and did some drugs and um, and he failed most of his classes. Now, when I find this out at the end of the year, of course I'm angry. I yell at him and I punish him. I send him to his room and I tell him, you know what, go um, reorganize your room, paint your room, and balance a heavy book on your head for thirty minutes a day for the next week. Whatever, I don't know. And then I do this in front of my other two kids so that they can see that this is what happens when they disobey my rules. All right, they had one rule. Do well in school and you'll go to Disneyland. Now, imagine when he's done with his punishment. I'm like, all right, go pack up. We're going to Disneyland. Would that be a just punishment? Honestly, what kind of example am I setting to the other two? I know this isn't a perfect analogy, but I use this as an example to show that if we're punishing... If we are, I'm sorry, if we are punished for bad behavior, but eventually end up with the same reward as the ones that, had, that did good behavior, what's the purpose of being good? And isn't this the point of progressive ideology, the progressive Catholicism, the progressive Christianity? Isn't that the whole point? <laughs> They're trying to get rid of absolute truth. They want to make truth subjective. They want to make truth relative. Like, oh, everybody has their own like version of truth. And as long as you're a good person, and they don't define what good person means, it's you have to be good in your way. And the proof is the vast majority of them are either believing hell is empty or it's temporary. And I mentioned first degree murder uh, being life in prison. I don't think anybody would disagree that if a person blew up a children's hospital and killed everybody that's in there, deserves life in prison. And at the very least, they at the very least deserve that because this person who blew up the children's hospital now needs to be isolated from polite society. He gave up the right to be with society when he chose to sin against what is natural. 
which is that we don't willfully take a life of an innocent human being. So this person has decided to turn his back on his fellow citizens and ignore the law of the human dignity and, uh, and, and what the human deserves. And now that person deserves to be completely in isolation. That's why we put him in life in prison. So why is it so hard to believe that turning our back on our father, the creator of all that exists, and ignore his law and his dignity and his majesty, it doesn't deserve to be isolated from him for all eternity. But I'll take it even a step further. If a person wants to argue that this isn't fair, you know, our time is relatively short on earth, you know, let's just, I don't want to get into like too sciencey or whatever, and this can be debated, but let's just say that for argument's sake, humans have been roaming the earth for about 200,000 years, right? Or some say longer, some say a little bit less, whatever. I'm just going to use the word, the number 200,000. Even if someone were to live to about 100, that's such a short period of time on earth, eternal punishment just doesn't seem fair, especially if the person dies at a younger age. Okay, let's use that logic against them. A temporary stay in hell, no matter how long it is, is going to be too small, too short, relative to eternity with God in heaven. So it would be just as unfair for God to give heaven as a reward, after any amount of temporal punishment, to a person who commits the most grievous offense of all, which is the permanent, unrepentant, Rejection of God's absolute right to obedience, worship, and love. So then that means that a temporary stay doesn't work. Since we wanted, in our life on earth, using our free will, to be totally isolated from God, we isolated ourselves from Him, we rejected Him willfully. Therefore, God is going to give us exactly what we want, which is being away from Him for eternity. Okay, and now then there is the annihilationists, which is so silly, I won't even waste too much time on it. As I explained at the top of the episode... There are Christians who believe that there is no hell. When you die, you either go to heaven or poof, you just cease to exist. Well, that's not possible since we're created in the image of like and likeness of God. So God is immortal. We have an immortal soul. God is rational. We have a rational soul. When we use the rational to do immoral things, our immortal soul doesn't cease to exist. That goes against God's nature and his creation. Why would God create a soul with an immortal nature only to throw down the garbage disposal when he doesn't like it? Thomas Aquinas argues that God's power is manifest in preserving things in existence. So to take anything, even an ant, out of existence would hinder that manifestation, let alone a human soul. So it goes against God's nature to make anything just cease to exist. So my brothers and sisters, be courageous. When defending the faith, you can, I know hell is an ugly topic, but it's the truth that God revealed to us because of his love for us. He wants us to be with him. He loves every single one of us. This is why he gave us his only son, to die for our sins and purchase our salvation with his blood. He wouldn't do that if he didn't love his creation. But in order for us to gain eternal life, we must accept first that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Savior. To reject this truth is to reject God himself. And if we want to be separated from him here on earth because of, because of his loving nature, he's going to give that to us. He's going to give us eternity of separation from him. So don't be afraid to preach on the reality of hell. Don't do it in a way to scare people into loving God. That, that's not what true love is. But we need to warn everybody we know, our family, our friends, our loved ones, that if we do not accept and worship God, and follow his will, then we are in danger of being eternally separated from him. 
don't use the cartoonish image of like where hell is like in a cave area and there's lava and fire. Explain it in a correct way. Explain that hell is the eternal separation from God and all of his glory. Because our ultimate goal in life is happiness and there is only one source of happiness, one source of goodness, one source of life, and it's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We need to submit ourselves to him here on earth so that we can be with him in heaven forever. Okay, that brings me to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in as always. I just ask you to keep me and my family in in your prayers um, as I keep you in mine. And please do remember to share this podcast with your family and friends and also check out the other shows from ECRC like the Catholic Avengers by the great Jeff Kassab and Pilaris Haki. And also, if you want, you can check out The Right to be Catholic by some guy named Sean. All right, God bless you all. And lepeshu tubacha, be salty. <laughs>